Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Time to get your weekend started right with some questions from the big old bag of mail. A reminder, if you want to submit a question for a future mailbag episode, you can do it by going to give us five stars. Give us a review. Let us know what you think about the show. Offer a suggestion. Offer a complaint. Just make sure it comes with five stars. Then include your question in there and we will tackle it on a future episode of the mailbag. Gentlemen, we're going to dive right in today and uh, we're going to start with something that is going to focus a little bit more on uh, the upcoming season because we're going to talk a lot about you know, who the top quarterbacks are and you know who's going to be the, the new luxury position is wide receiver, top wide receivers in the game. But uh, this question from uh, So Lonely 69 nice, uh, this question is actually about the somewhat forgotten position uh, in college football, and it is about the running back. So Lonely 69 asks, the best college football podcast have all angles covered. Who do the hosts think will be the best running back in 2021? Mm. I'm going Brees Hall, dibs. You would have said Chuba Hubbard last year, too. Look how that worked out. Like I think running back is a tough position to project based on what we've seen. Now, I think that is the easy like choice. He's got a solid quarterback, Iowa State, up-and-coming program. But I think everybody and their brother is going to be trying to shut down Brees Hall, which makes it tougher for him to do his job. But I, I see where you're going. I mean, I, I think Brees Hall is definitely going to have numbers because the way that Iowa State's offense goes. But like as far as best running back, uh, Kennedy Brooks at Oklahoma. I think Brian Robinson is not a name that people are familiar with because of Najee Harris for the most part at Alabama, but it's hard to think of like an Alabama running back who's not going to put up numbers. True. Uh, Jerry and Ely. At Ole Miss, which which you're yeah. going to have like tons of production just based on the way that offense and that defense are going to go without a doubt. Tank Bigsby, Bijan. I, I, it's hard to know who's going to be the best one. It's like trying to figure out from like an NFL perspective or from just like college football production. Oh, I fun took to watch. Yeah, I took this as a, a fun to watch. Like, who's going to be your like all American? Ooh, great. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be an all American because I don't he think he's going to put up. He could be, but I don't think he's going to put up the kind of numbers that for the overwhelming majority of like all American voter types that are going to look at Deuce Vaughn and say, okay, that's an all American. He's not going to have like 1300 yards and 15 rushing touchdowns. But I just think as far as 
total usage in the offense and for what he can do, like as far as the excitement factor, I, I might go with Deuce Vaughn. How about Travion Henderson? The first yeah. five-star running back pro, uh, prospect at Ohio State since Beanie Wells in 2006. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm totally sold on Master Teague as the guy. They've had a dynamic runner. You know, if you look back, the history of running backs at Ohio State, somebody taking the the helm there. I wouldn't buy, be surprised if Travion takes over the load there before long and is probably is most talented in that room. And I think he could be a, a star that bursts on the scene. Yeah, I think I think Master Teague's kind of a nice changeup, like for a, an offense. I don't know if you wanted to be your feature guy because he is kind of a straight line. Like it, it, if he hits the hole and it's gone, he can he pick once he picks up speed. He's hard to catch and he's hard to tackle. It's just if you've got to have him shifting and moving around, he kind of slows down in those kind of changes. So yeah, I could see Henderson taking a big role for Ohio State right away if he's able to fill that spot. Like he could take the uh, the Trey Sermon role kind of deal. So the, yeah. the Brees Hall play comes in with this uh, path, and it's much like Chuba Hubbard, which I guess should give you pause, which is as a freshman, we saw it. We're like, we saw it. And I guess Chuba might have been more of a sophomore, but this is the – there have been two years where at first he flashes, uh, then as a sophomore he leads the Big 12 in rushing and, and was really the most dynamic part of that offense. Now we're going into a junior season, and we're thinking like, okay, you could be the best running back in college football. That same kind of path could be in uh, the making for Texas A&M running back Isaiah Spiller – who came in and sort of, he was part of a rotation a little bit as a freshman, but last year really emerged as the alpha in that running back room. And I, I think Isaiah Spiller might be another one that we should keep an eye on, especially when you've got, like, this shouldn't be a knock, but as we're talking about running backs, one of the places we're going to look is like, okay, so where are they going to need you? And if Texas A&M breaking in a new starting quarterback, like that's that's the number one thing that they're going to try to lean on, at least in terms of uh, trying to... Um, at least in terms of trying to be able to have some kind of consistent offense. I like the Brian Robinson pick. Like when I'm thinking about the SEC, Georgia's got, you know, it's stable right now. Zeus White, James Cook, like they've got a couple there. But I, I in terms of like a one alpha who's going to be like the best running back in the country, it's just tough right now to find a, a lot of options except for players who've been productive already. I do think in the SEC that Tank Bixby is a, dark horse kind of option because like if we think of Gus Malzahn's offenses like they use running backs obviously but if we look back at Boise State's history particularly under Brian Harson, a lot of the numbers that he's been able to get with running backs and just the amount of carries that his running backs have gotten in those offenses over the years Tank Bigsby might become more of a featured player in that offense they might kind of build the offense around him in a lot of ways so I think Tank he's got a good chance to put up some like you know all-American kind of numbers this year who in the Pac-12 with before we, before we move on real quick just sort of like as we've been bouncing around mentally uh who who in the Pac-12 could end up doing that is Jarek Broussard I mean if, if we look oh, at Broussard Colorado yeah year, yeah like if you look at it like we talk about Brees Hall Brees Hall led the nation in rushing but as far as yards per game he finished seventh Jarek Broussard finished third in the country in yards per game. He averaged about 150 yards per game. Colorado used him a lot. I think that that is something that is probably going to continue. Uh, elsewhere, I mean, Stephen Carr finally just entered the transfer portal from USC, and I was like, wow, he's still there? But uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, USC's offense, it's an air raid offense, so it's not like – 
they're going to have the running back that's getting a ton of carries. Who's at Oregon now? Who's? Um, I think we've we've lost C.J. Verdell, right? Yeah, that's who's whoever Verdell die. Is he back? He was a junior last year. I think or whoever takes over, whoever takes the feature back role from Oregon, I think is going to put up good numbers. I would think that Washington's running back, whoever takes the lead role, is going to have good numbers. But that's the thing too. Like, are we looking at clear number ones, or are we going to see teams that are mixing up carries? Because we see a lot of that more often these days too. There really aren't a lot of like lead alpha horses, kind of like Brees Hall. These, you know, that's kind of becoming a dying breed. This next question, uh, want to make sure we get Danny in on this one because uh, it's. I feel like in the crossover pod, Tom, you and I got to get in on it a little bit. Uh, it best podcast around. Look forward to every episode, and honestly, wish there was an episode every single day. There can be. Just listen to him twice. I, honestly, I would prefer not. <laughs> uh, mailbag question: I recently watched a video about Malik Willis and wasn't aware just how impressive his season last year was. Uh, do you see the possibility of him being next year's Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, and earn himself a high first round draft pick? And who are some other candidates you think could have that meteoric rise up the draft board? Are you in on Malik Willis, Danny? Uh, in Five years ago, I would have laughed. I'd been like, what? What are you talking about? Like, who's this kid from Liberty? Yeah, he had a nice season statistically. But now that we've seen the evolution of really guys like Jordan Love, um, you know, just kind of guys that were okay, and then they burst on the scene, and the NFL drafting more on potential, um, Malik Willis, all of a sudden, he is starting to crop up on a lot of 2022 mock drafts. I'm starting to buy into what he potentially could be. I think he's going to be better. He played well against better competition last year. He might have had a, a better year than some of these other quarterbacks. Um, so I'm starting to buy in, like on the on the upside potential there. So yeah, like I, I'm not going to be foolish enough to laugh at any quarterback prospect anymore and like say, ha, ha, no way. Like a Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati. Like, I've seen his name crop up on these. I'm like, really? Uh, are you sure? But he's pretty athletic. He can make some. And like Tom was saying, he said a couple times about Kellen Mond. Like, when you watch Kellen Mond this past year, does he really look like he's NFL potential? And does he look like he's in an, And you're like, no, but he looked great at his pro day. And he made that throw rolling to his left <laughs> and chucking it across his body. So let's go. Let's go ahead and draft him. Like, the NFL has kind of just – gone with the way of the NBA and said, we'll draft on potential. And so Malik Willis is an incredibly gifted player. I mean, I, I did see Quincy Avery, the quarterback guru who's out there, who is trained to Sean Watson. A lot of big name guys said he had, quote, the livest arm of anybody he's had. Huge arm, like, yeah. Huge arm. So, I mean, he's he probably will be a, t a guy that gets drafted incredibly high if he stays healthy and has a halfway decent. I don't even think he has to replicate what he did this past season, but if he has a pretty good season, he'll be up there for sure. Yeah, I, I we like you said, Chip, we talked about this on the crossover a lot, but I, I do think that Malik will, somebody's going to fall in love with him. I mean, it only takes one team because he does have that huge arm. He is an excellent, you know, he's he's an he's an excellent athlete. He's talented and he's putting up numbers in that offense. Just my concerns with him is like, Danny, you mentioned he did well against good teams. He really didn't. Like when Liberty played up last year, those were the games that he struggled. Like the season opener against Western Kentucky, which was not a good team overall, but ask Louisville and anybody else. 
that defense was pretty salty. He only averaged six yards per attempt, completed over 60% of his passes. Against Virginia Tech, he completed 67% of his passes, but it was only seven yards per attempt. Against NC State, he completed 41% of his passes for five yards per attempt with two touchdowns and three interceptions. And against Coastal, he completed 66% of his passes, but only seven and a half yards per attempt, no touchdowns, two interceptions. So as the... But he ran for 137 against Coastal. He like did. He's a runner too. Like this is but, the new dimension of football where we're going. But I do think that in the NFL, you still need to be, you know, it's passing is always, I, it's, I, it's awesome to have a quarterback who can run, but I'm Lamar Jackson aside, we're yet to see that quarterback in the NFL who can just get by as a runner and not really as a great passer yet. And we've seen the get the Ravens get to the playoffs, but they kind of hit a ceiling at a certain point. But my other concern too, and this is not fair, but again, we talked about this on the, on the crossover, like he was at Auburn mm-hmm. competing with Bo Nix. But Bo Nix. And all the caveats of the Gus on pop gun offense aside, you know, maybe Malik's arm was way too strong for what Gus wants from his QB. We don't want to throw it down the field like more than yeah. 20 yards. So we got to take that out of the, the rotation. But the fact that he couldn't, beat Gus or he couldn't beat out Bowden in a QB competition is a red flag to me. And maybe that changes this year. And it's not to say he can't, because again, he's very talented. He's got a very good arm and he's in an offense. that's going to put him in places, but another factor too, who's the last QB to come out of one of Hugh Freeze's offenses to go on to be, you know, a great NFL player. A lot of QBs have put up great numbers. Not many have gone on to be great NFL QBs. Dr. Bo Wallace, uh, Swag Kelly, you know, that's, uh, it's not a, it's not a long list, but I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, like we talked about it, it is very much the, um, you know, bud looking me dead in the eyes and telling me like college stats don't matter. And I'm just like, what, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they called me up and they put me on the Virginia talk radio network and much love to Ed Lane, but he's a cover three listener. So he's going to hear this. And he just, he even said to me, he's like, hey, I want to bring you on here in Virginia for your Malik Willis take. And I'm like, what? That is a disservice to your listeners. They're just going to get angry. <laughs> they just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chip, so you don't believe Malik Willis. Explain. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate Malik Willis in the entire state of Virginia? Yeah, go. It, go. Um, but, uh, but. You know, that's, that's where I, I went a little bit softer, um, in the, in the radio hit. And I was, I just explained, uh, it's like, based on what I've seen against the best opponents and what we remember from the Auburn coaching search, yada, 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 he could be, I could change my mind. Yes. Malik Willis could a hundred percent be somebody who, who rises up those draft boards. Danny with a good point. Also Desmond Ritter. I mean, I, ex- yeah, that's, I would have, I have similar feelings about Desmond Ritter. Like I would like to see. Ritter repeat the performance that he had last year to prove that it wasn't just maybe a weird, strange result of a being on a team that was much better than everybody else, or just like a COVID kind of year result. And also, as Danny was saying, like he's right. Malik Willis, as far as traits and as far as potential, that is going to be extremely attractive to NFL teams because we have seen teams in the NFL take more chances on traits because, like Bud has told you, they've learned over the years that college production doesn't really correlate automatically to NFL production. So they, they tend to take lottery tickets, particularly at the quarterback spot where, you know, you find the right QB and it 
you could screw up everywhere else. As long as you've got the QB, you're going to have a job for a while and you've got a chance to compete. And it's also, it just makes it so much easier to fill out your roster when that one question is settled. All right. Uh, this next question from Matt, uh, I believe he also chimed in on Twitter. I've got his, I, I had this pulled, you sent it in as a special request Mm -hmm. and I already had it pulled, but I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had the, the right environment. And I, I think that you can really weigh in on this with, with some, some expertise. So uh, let's, let's, let's make sure we, we dig in. Cause this is all about, this is about the most passion. This is, it was about college football passion. It's about real life passion and college football passion. Here we go. Uh, absolutely love the pod. It's a must listen for any college football fan mailbag question. I'm a Penn state alum and last week married a ball state alum. Congratulations. They are playing each other this year. And at our wedding, there was a lot, all caps, lot of confidence from the ball state side of the party that not only will they cover the spread, but they may win. Their big point of emphasis was that instead of going to the workforce and a nine to five job, their players are now super seniors who came back to play. Now, ball state had an awesome season, right? Like worth good last year, worth yeah. mentioning that like compared to to where Ball State has been, uh, that was that was the kind of year that you celebrate. I remember at the end of the season, we've got like was it Mike News, like a former Ball State quarterback himself. So we got all the alma mater feels going on. A lot, lot of stuff, a lot of positivity around Ball State. Um, uh, where as we rebutted Penn State players turned down the NFL, Dotson and Walker to come back. I know it's not a marquee game, but as a wedding gift, can you help settle the debate of this 25-year-old working men versus the NFL prospects? Is this a game we're sweating out in the fourth quarter or leaving at halftime? Love the show and thanks again. First of all, congratulations on the wedding. Second of all, I'm happy to know that there are such things as ball state families. Like, is it, are they, are they Muncie, Indiana royalty? Who, who did you marry into? Like, but uh, I mean, this is a strange, it's not as easy as a question to answer as you might think, because as you said, Chip last year, ball state in the Mac was a good team. Ball state going into the season was the team that I picked to win the conference. Now, obviously that didn't happen, but all right. No, yeah, it did happen. Yeah, no, they won the conference, finished in the top 25, won the Arizona Bowl. I mean, that's like... I have no idea why I thought Buffalo won that game. But anyway, no, Ball State kind of pulled off the upset in that Mm -hmm. game and won it. And I think that with all that returning experience, there is, there probably, you know, especially with Lance Leipold leaving Buffalo, of course, like when when it comes to the MAC, there's there's no damn way to tell from year to year who's going to be the best team in that conference or who isn't. But I do think that going into the year, you have to look at that Ball State team with as much as it comes back and say, man, that's that's probably one of the two or three teams that you look at and say they've got the most realistic shot of winning the conference this year. But with Penn State, like in a vacuum, no guys who put off accounting for a year are not better than guys who are putting off the NFL for a year. Like Penn state is far and away the more talented team. But the problem is Penn state opens its season at Wisconsin in Madison. That's a big game to start your season with. Cause that is like, that could be the best team in the West and you're Penn state and you're competing for the East and you're already, you know, kind of in a hole against Ohio state to start the year. So you cannot afford to lose that game. 
So that's a huge game to start. Then you play Ball State at home the next week in your home opener. But here's the problem. Do you know who comes to Happy Valley the week after Ball State? What's No, I don't have the schedule put up. Auburn. What a game. That's what I'm saying. So like Penn State, like this is a really difficult start to the season as far as a three-game stretch because you've got Wisconsin, you've got the defending MAC champions, and then you've got Auburn. That's a difficult three games. And it's kind of like a sandwich spot where early in the season – who knows if everybody's really up to speed or what yet? It's a tricky spot. Like, it's not a coincidence that, you know, I mean, obviously most of these non-conference games are played during the early part of the season. But, like, the crazy upsets that you do see, like the FCS pulls off the upset over the FBS team, they don't happen late in the year. They usually happen in the first two weeks of the season because not everybody's, you know, fully up to speed yet. And you can get caught sleeping. Or if you're in a situation like this and it's a sandwich game, you can get caught napping or maybe looking ahead to Auburn. You know, like if Penn State beats Wisconsin, maybe they overlook Ball State. Maybe they're a little cocky. They're thinking, hey, that's a hell of a start to the year. Now, if they lose to Wisconsin, Ball State, I would say, probably gets its ass whipped. But I still think Penn State's probably going to beat up on Ball State 80% of the time. I would say 10% of the time it's a close Penn State win. But there's 10% of the time I think Ball State could win that game. So I wouldn't worry about it, but like don't rule out the possibility that your new, you know, your in-laws are going to be talking a lot of crap to you for a while cuz that is definitely possible this year. So Ball State's defense last year again, Mac only schedule gave up 5.94 yards per play. But Drew Plitt is back, and it's so funny that we're calling him like the Ball State accountants because <laughs> as he's back for his super senior season, after like like slowly working his way up to being one of the most prolific Ball State quarterbacks because of all these successful seasons stacked on top of each other, what's his major? Accounting. Drew Plitt is actually holding off taking the CPA exam so that he yeah. can try and take down Penn State in Happy Valley in the second game of the season. I have... Like, also, another thing I forgot to mention, too, let's not forget, like Penn State is not its second offensive coordinator in two years now. That's, like, it's another new offense that they're working in. Like if Penn State can't score, then it's a really, really big problem. I mm -hmm. do think that Ball State has the chance to be able to – Ball State can be able to hit, like, I don't know, 24, 21, yeah, like something <laughs> like that. And the question is, is like, is Penn State going to go and put up 42 – or is it going to be a little bit of a sweat because things are a little bit slow starting? We are handicapping this game four months ahead of time, but I will say right now that the first quarter of that game is going to be really important. Like if Penn State comes out in its first couple of possessions and moves the ball, even if it doesn't get points, I'm not going to be worried that much. But if Penn State comes out and struggles a little bit early and Ball State gets some momentum, <sighs> let that game be 17-14 at halftime. Oh. <laughs> or something like that. And all of a sudden, we're all rushing over to see if uh, the defending MAC champions. I mean, what a start for Penn State. Like, obviously, we are... I, we have not started doing the, the true win totals research. That is going to be happening very soon. Uh, we've been, you know, digging in on actual personnel things. And, and I try always here on the Cover 3 podcast to, like, separate those two so I don't just talk about a team through the idea of how many games they're going to win until later, you know, it's, it's not the same conversation, but uh, Wisconsin ball state and Auburn for Penn state. And then, and then Villanova, which should be a win, but then 
They get Indiana, Iowa. Like the first five, first six games of Penn State's schedule, man, before they're by. I mean, it doesn't get much easier after the bye, but I feel like the early part of the season is going to be pretty important for Penn State. Uh, sidebar, do you think that Michigan w- is going to end up, like if, if you're doing your order of finish, Pine, Ohio State, which I assume you're putting number one, would you do Michigan ahead of Penn State? Would you do Indiana ahead of Michigan and Penn State? I don't I think mean, I've decided how I'm going to, like, I will include Indiana in that conversation in a way that I have not before but I think that those three teams, I have not settled on uh, how I'm going to break it down when we have to turn all that in later this summer. I am only in the very preliminary stages of looking, you know, like trying to figure that stuff out like I do every offseason. But I will say this. I think Penn State is a better team than Michigan. I think Michigan has an easier schedule. And I think that that could help it. And I also think if, if McCarthy takes over and that offense clicks, I think Michigan, yeah, it could finish ahead of Penn State. I don't think it's that clear cut and dry because like, I mean, they have Washington out of conference to start, but they've got Western Michigan and Northern Illinois early. They open with Rutgers, which should be a win. And then they get Wisconsin on the road, just like Penn State. And then they get Nebraska on the road. But again, I don't think Nebraska is going to be that good this year then they get a bye then they get northwestern at home i i wouldn't be surprised northwestern takes a step back michigan state they get indiana at home the thing is they don't play they play penn state late in the year and they play it in happy valley so that gives penn state kind of an edge in that one and then of course there's the ohio state game but so i think penn state's probably by projection is going to be the better team it's going to come down i i do think michigan might have an easier schedule though I want to tell you about the all-new Stitcher podcast app. It's been rebuilt from the ground up to make it easier to listen to podcasts on the go or on the revamped web player. Stitcher is the home to all your favorite podcasts, from classics like My Favorite Murder, This American Life, and How Did This Get Made, to all the CBS sports shows like Pick 6, Fantasy Baseball Today, the Cover 3 podcast, which of course is your favorite. In Stitcher, you have more control like setting the download preferences per show and the ability to listen at virtually any speed. With Stitcher, you can listen to your podcast anytime, anywhere. So give the all new Stitcher app a try, download it in the app store or at stitcherapp.com slash download. Coming up on the other side, blue bloods. Can you be a blue blood, then not be a blue blood? Is it a lifetime initiation into the blue blood fraternity? We'll discuss that and more next. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This next question says... My team's message board had a discussion the other day that got me thinking. Some think blue blood status is something a program cannot lose. I strongly disagree. In fact, I think it's better for your program if blue blood status is something that is earned and that you can lose it at some point over time if you don't keep it up. To further the point, the example someone gave was Nebraska. No offense, but no offense to the Cornhuskers, but I think they've lost blue blood status. Sure, they have five championships, but zero over the past 20-plus seasons. Last conference title was shared in 2010. Since joining the Big Ten, they haven't even been a top-four program in their own conference. 
All that being said, can slash should blue blood status be something you can gain and lose? Thanks. RIP Barton, hashtag anchor down, but as always, hashtag go Irish. Uh, Barton's not dead. Speaking of hashtag anchor down, I guess we just got to commit. Vandy? Dorian Gates, three-star defensive end from Spring, Texas, is committed to the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, watch so. out, Sark. Watch out, Jimbo. Barton's coming into the Lone Star State and wrecking Staking shop on players. the recruiting trail. You're damn right he is. Uh, no, but blue blood status is definitely something that is lost and gained. I mean, it's I don't, there's not like a selection committee for it. Maybe there should be. Ooh. Should we start like a cover three podcast, blue blood selection committee? And we will at the beginning of every season, we will name the blue bloods. And we like, you could, you could nominate your school as a blue blood and, and the four of us will get together and decide whether they should be one. That's, you know, that's a, re- a really good multi-platform content opportunity. That's what I'm saying. We're I'm just- talking, we do this on the podcast. We write about it. We go on CBS sports HQ, catch us in July talking yeah. about blue blood status. How, how Add many schools, how many schools could you have as blue bloods at the same time? Ah, oh, man, let's see. There's four playoffs, but I think that eight feels like a good number as far as most that you could truly have. And I also like, cause Nebraska it, to the questions point, Nebraska is not a blue blood. Nebraska is not a blue blood. Nebraska no. was a blue blood. And now like you have to start drawing some brackets and you have to start, you kind of have to start defining eras, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let's but, think like he's cause Clemson's not a blue blood, but Clemson is a blue blood. It's, it's a blue blood now, but like, he was saying that, you know, people say that, you know, you can't, once you're blue blood, you can't lose that status. You know who says that? People who are fans of programs that used to be blue bloods that are no longer blue bloods. <laughs> Nebraska fans say that blue bloods can't lose their status. Like, but Yale was a blue blood. Army was a blue blood. Na- you know, Navy was a blue blood. They're no longer blue blood. So all right. change. he's a, he's obviously a Notre Dame fan. Hashtag go Irish in the question. Notre Dame, I think is a blue blood. Yes. They it's they the weren't twice. were they ten years ago no twelve years no. I'm trying to think pre, yeah so Brian you can Kelly's fall in and out you can yes. fall in and out of blue blood status I think we need a new term though because when I think of blue blood I think of historical think programs that have greatness yes and I actually like um, the term that Leonard Hamilton came up with for the Florida State basketball team new blood when he said we're new bloods like I would say Clemson if you're Clemson you're new bloods and I think you kind of own that you say we're a team that's new to the party although they did have a championship in 80s so they might say but you know what I mean like I feel like there's a delineation because I would say Nebraska is a blue blood and they're just kind of in this incredible down cycle but if they got good again we'd be like yeah of course they were a blue blood kind of like Notre Dame so Notre Dame would be, so we've got the the four teams that have 20 of the 28 spots in the college football playoff, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Notre Dame is has two college football playoff appearances. I think that those have got to be your five. Uh, Danny, we're thinking about instituting a an initiation or a declaration ceremony where we're going to every single year name the Blue Bloods going into the season and we'll like actually have them on the cutting board. Like these are good, the ones that are safe. These are the ones that are up for debate. These are the teams that could cycle in i think that five are uh indisputable the alabama clemson ohio state oklahoma notre dame they all have history they all have modern success so who else 
even gets to is are there other teams that get to enter that conversation because for the historical side Penn State shows up and says what about us Michigan shows up and says what about us um in terms of national championships like did you have USC as a blue blood man they would be close to right yeah Yeah. they're historically a blue blood for sure but like now are they're on the cutting room floor probably what about a program that's won three national titles since 2000 LSU I think they've reached that status. They're kind of like, if we think of blue bloods as a, you know, old money, wealthy elite family, they're kind of like that cousin that gambles away the family fortune. Yeah. Like he's got some problems, but you know, he's still family. He still has the name. We still support him when he gets in trouble and he needs our help. We're always there for him, but you know, you just got to let LSU be LSU. But LSU doesn't have the historical side because most of it is Saban, right? I mean, they've always had the passion and they've had like these, these moments and these years along the way. But I remember, uh, Leading into the 2018 LSU Georgia game, there was like a retrospective on an old LSU Georgia game when Saban was there, and it was declared as the moment when like LSU really emerged. When LSU said like, you know, we are no longer uh, a program that is more about the the culture, but we are a program about winning, and we're going to be here to win championships. So that LSU kind of has that uh, almost a Clemson feel, where you got to look at it as a, a little bit more of a modern power, but I'll. I'll hear the the blue blood argument, especially just the way that they accumulate talent in the state of Louisiana. Is Texas a it's, blue blood? It's a high cholesterol level blue blood, but it's a blue <laughs> blood, I think. Texas? Texas? <sighs> yes, they have to be. But not right now. Like, according to our term now, like they're not right now, but they no. are a blue blood. Okay, so that would be eight. So if, if Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC, Texas, LSU, those feel like blue bloods. Florida State's like, what? Yeah, see, that's the thing. <laughs> no, I but see, like- we were an all-girls school until 19, like for real, until 1950-ish, like around that's then. The so we don't have the rich history. So it's almost impossible for us to be a blue blood. I think Florida State has a better argument than Texas. Hmm. I mean, Florida State won a national title not too long ago. Florida State has a playoff berth. For you know, it's it's won titles this century. It's Texas has the 2005, obviously, but other than that, what is Texas's? I mean, they have money, obviously, so that's they have national championships from 1963, 69, 70. I don't care about those. But that's a blue blood. That's the definition of a blue blood. Rich tradition at the program. You know, I mean, that when I think of college football, like that was one of these schools. I think a blue blood should be a school that was in the movie Johnny B. Good with Anthony Michael Hall when he went on his recruiting trips. Because you remember, he went to the pseudo Nebraska where they all were on steroids. And I think Mm -hmm. that might have been where Jim McMahon was there when he walked in. And then there was the Texas where he hooked up with the coach's wife at the 50 yard line. So, like, (laughs) that to me is the definition of blue blood. If you're in Johnny B. Good, is one of the premier college football programs you're in the the blue blood status um <laughs> dogs Oof. like no. to, to look georgia in the eye and say you are not <laughs> a luck. blue blood you're not <sighs> it's it's just i think that see i think the blue blood is a broader term i would be okay but if you had only eight or ten i think they don't make the cut 
Which is the same thing. I'm a Florida State guy. I would say we don't make the cut as a top eight blue blood program. We might have to. But would you, what, from what well, you guys are saying, we would have been post 2013, 2014, when we national champions, playoff appearance, then it would have been. Now we've lost favor clearly. See, I would, I like the Leonard Hamilton new blood. See, I think, I think it's a mixture of actual success and like possible success. You know what I mean? Potential. Like, are you, are you in a position to where you are, you can compete for a national title? Mm. So in that way, Texas, they're in position where they can. Georgia in position where they can. It's just in my mind, there's not enough of the actual on field yet. So why does it seem easier to do it? And this is absolutely probably my bias showing through, but to ask about college basketball blue bloods, it literally just rolls off the tongue when you say Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, uh, and then you like you you put Indiana and UCLA on the chopping block because they're historical, but they haven't always been there. Villanova and Connecticut pop up to say what's up, but then the conversation kind of ends, right? Yeah. Like, why is it easier for college basketball than college football? Because they've been good for really long yeah. and they've always like when was duke's down cycle like when was kentucky's really bad cycle like they've been good pretty consistently kansas they've been good real like for a really long time kansas that's the other one excuse me sorry jayhawks yeah. fans yeah kentucky kansas <laughs> carolina duke We're and a then college football podcast kansas fans aren't listening <laughs> no they should be because we gave 30 minutes of kansas content here in april and may I know. that was that was that was our bad <laughs> All right. Uh, This next question comes from Tab. Love the show. Mailbag question. With the outrage at the Astros, do you think there's a day coming soon when the public finds out there's coaches dedicated to deciphering offensive signals on the sideline? Parentheses, Venables. That's his parentheses, not mine, Brent. Okay. All right. It feels like something that hasn't hit the mainstream yet and has the potential to create outrage. Thanks. This, I mean, I think there's a line that the Astros crossed. I think that setting up cameras and then using that and then, you know, doing like the signals of banging drums and all that kind of stuff to signal to hitters what pitch is coming. I think that crosses a line. As for old-fashioned sign stealing, do it. That's part of the game. Teams have been doing that for a century. They've been doing it in football ever since they've had a chance to. So as long as you're not like setting up cameras in the other team's locker room or miking them and, you know, getting it like just kind of like, you know, spying on them, I don't care if you're a coach on the sideline staring across at the other sideline and you can decipher the signs or you're in the other press box and you can decipher the signs that's on them, not on you. You're doing your damn job. And so it doesn't bother me again. It is a line and maybe that line's a little murky trying to figure out where it is, but it's kind of like the judge said about pornography. I know it when I see it, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel about science dealing. I think you gave a really good, recap of it like I totally agree with you um as a lifelong baseball player at every level maybe even back to little league like you're kind of taught if you're a runner on second base and you can see in there and they're not changing their signs or even if they are and it's pretty simple and you kind of keep talking everybody that gets on second hey what did you see you know and if it's a fastball we get it then you're going to stand up on second base and you know or when it's a curveball you're going to you know crouch down low like 
There are signals you can do. You're going to grab straighten out your helmet, whatever it is you're going to try to do. Um, you know, baseball's always towed the line. Football, I don't think has as much, and yet it has. It doesn't get as much attention. I don't think it's as as accepted as it is in baseball. Baseball's kind of like, well, yeah. Like we've seen pitchers out there, like who me when they pull out their pockets and the nail file like falls out. What? And everyone's like, ha ha. Gaylord Perry, remember him when he mm-hmm. was doing all this and he had it. You just couldn't find out where it was, but it was like, ah, oh, that's old Gaylord being just, mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to do his thing. Football fans, I think, would lose their minds if they knew how much it goes on. My thing is, there's a really simple solution. And the NFL has figured it out where it doesn't have to be like pornography. You know it when you see it. Because now in football, it is using technology. In the NFL, it is technology if you're stealing. You are videotaping practices, which is illegal. You're sending people to stadiums and t- you know, f- uh, shooting things on the sidelines. Those are illegal. Put the microphones in their helmets. You know, and I get that it's probably a cost issue, but there's a lot of money and especially at the power five level. But then what do you do when you play the group of five, which is again, one of those reasons where maybe we get to the separation. All you need is two or three helmets. It's not like you need a whole team. You just need your quarterbacks. You need a, a, a linebacker or two, or, you know, pick your two players on defense and all of this goes away. All the bickering about it. Cause I do, I worry. And I think, it's again the issue we saw it happen with COVID. There was no one voice. You know, if the SEC says we're going to do it, you know, that's not fair. And the other, like, it's just you need some continuity across to get everybody on the same page. But it would make it all go away, and I think it would be better for the sport. Uh, two things. And Number to, one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and to be clear, when they do do that, and the other team hacks into the radio frequency, <laughs> then over it's pornography. The line. Yeah, but you know, you know <laughs> what you're watching. <laughs> okay, yes, exactly. So three things. Then number one, like cannot wait to find out what the uh, the frequency strength is in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, or Starkville, Mississippi. Like you want to talk about like very very thin frequencies that uh, that might be easily taken over. I mean, you're listening to CB radio like truck drivers all of a sudden in your helmet as a linebacker. What is this right now? And uh, number two, oh, it happened for real. It happened a lot. Like in, D- in Denver, we'd hear like a Mexican radio station that would come in through like every once in a while. You'd hear it on the frequency. This is the NFL, like the big leagues. And you'd hear like Mexican like ra- like 107.9 La Ley is all of a sudden <laughs> yes. in there. Uh, yeah. Never forget that the Spygate team that the Patriots were taping were the future four and 12 New York Jets. And so the six. The, the the New York Patriot the New England Patriots felt like they needed to get a leg up on the Jets. That always is hilarious to me. And I think that this actually is relevant because of Ohio State using the sugar huddle against Clemson's defense in the college football playoff semifinal because that was Clemson standing around like, oh, what what are we gonna do? And Ohio State just rushed to the line, snap real quick and Ryan Day sort of slightly like Ryan Day's a gamer, you know. He kind of he understands the hustle, so he didn't like go in on you know like oh it's awful that they're stealing stealing signs. He he had an answer for it, and I, I do think that Clemson was uh was caught on their heels a little bit. It's gonna be interesting if if we don't have microphones in the helmets, you get to see a lot more of that like sugar huddle, a lot more of just like ways to be able to uh, to change the clock a little bit, even within the context of the, the up-tempo offense. Um, should be interesting. 
Cover three listeners, we've reached a point in the year where there's a lot, I mean a lot, of sports going on going on all at once, which is why we wanted to tell you about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scores app for your phone, but it's also where you get breaking news alerts, I mean, stories by us, standings, schedules, team pages, and all of the sports stuff that you're used to. And of course, if there's a game airing on CBS, that means it is streaming on the CBS Sports app. Hey, I'm not at home. I'm not near a TV, but I want to watch this game that's on CBS Sports. Well, you're sitting out, you know, maybe you're outside, you got a little picnic table, boom, open up that CBS Sports app on your phone, then you're watching the game live and you're doing it for free. It's the CBS Sports app. Download it in your local app store. Okay, let's see, we got Blue Bloods, we did our wedding. All right, let's do the, uh, here we go. Thank you for the laughs with the pick six crossover pod. Chip basically ensured Kayvon Thibodeau going number one overall. Lock those bets in now, folks. Thank you again for picking up uh, a mailbag question about the NLI. The NFT concept Bud brought up was something I had considered about asking about. Could be on to something there. Question is... Do you have any favorite or interesting college football urban legends? I always enjoy hearing the kind of stories that are just outlandish enough that it is plausible that they are true. I understand if there are some you can't necessarily tell with real names and teams. So if you have some good ones and you feel comfortable telling them using pseudonyms, I'd also love to hear them. Also, if any of you could confirm that there is some truth to one of my favorite urban legends, the example story... I listed below. It is much appreciated. And he says, one of my favorite urban legends is about a certain wide receiver. Let's call him Ged 10 Jr. from a state in the Midwest. When Ged 10 Jr. was in high school, he really wanted an offer from the well-known school located in the neighboring state to the north of his home state. The aforementioned school would not offer Ged 10 Jr. a scholarship. This absolutely devastated, I heard he was in tears over it, 10 Jr., who went on to become an absolute stud for his home state school and nightmare fuel for the school that spurned him of a scholarship. Since the series of events unfolded the way it did, 10 Jr.'s father, let's call him Ged 10 Sr., who is a longtime high school football coach in the Believe Land area, refuses to allow any of the players he's coached to attend the northern neighboring school on a football scholarship. I cannot confirm that one, but... (laughs) I cannot confirm the whole story, but I will say if Ged Tin Sr. is blocking his players from going to a major Big Ten school, that'd probably not be putting your players first but um i i know of i won't go into specifics but i know or heard heard tale of a recently retired quarterback who went to college in the big 10 at around the same time as some people i know who went to the same college and i don't know this person's background before college and before the NFL, but I am told that this person had a very nice car with a personalized license plate that seemed very out of whack for this tiny little college town in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> now, I so when he do you think that question is specifically asking for recruiting legends like that's what it's about? Because I those are 
those are legendary. And a lot of them, and they're very believable. Some of them are true. Some of them I have no idea are true. Uh, the one that I've always heard, and this because some of my friends are Miami Hurricanes fans who are nuts. And I think I've referenced them on here a couple times. And they still claim to this day that Patrick Peterson, who is from South Florida, was going to go to Miami and LSU bought him out. It was like there was a price on his head. And they have a number. I think they say it was 170 grand that they paid him. I have no idea if it's true, but like he switched last minute. Like, I don't know. But there's Let's because right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All things covered, pod. Let's go. <laughs> Shout out B Mac. Let's go. Um, but I don't know. Like a lot of it is, you know, what used to annoy the crap out of me when I got to the NFL, every player in the locker room would be like, Oh, you're taking a pay cut, huh? Canal, you were at Florida state. You got, you're definitely getting paid there. And I'd got a couple hundred dollar handshakes and that was it. Mm -hmm. Like maybe in total after two years of starting, probably got about $1,500 cash in total, like, you know, several different hundred dollar handshakes Probably got about probably $2,500 worth of food and drinks and free meals and stuff. And that was about it. And that was That's just it. like around in town. That wasn't like yeah. a very, very, that was just, oh, it's yeah. covered. You know, we're, we're picking yeah. it up. Which was awesome. And it was great. And you're a college kid and you're like, this yeah. is awesome. You know, I love that. That was sweet. Um, but it wasn't like I was rolling in dough that some people were. And I actually was disappointed. Not disappointed because I, I wanted to be 10 more than I was in the recruiting process. Not one school made any inclination, no hinting of, hey, what would it take? Can we do anything extra? You know, nothing. Now they, they do their research. So they know like I came from a back, my dad was a doctor, but still I was like, come on, can you control? He's the doctor, not me. Where's the bag <laughs> man for me? Yes, exactly. I felt a little bit slighted in the recruiting process because of that. So um, within the many twists and turns, there is one detail of the Cam Newton uh, urban legend that always makes me laugh because of the visual that I get. Now, I want to hit hit the top level stuff, make sure that it checks out. Number one, the school that's uh, all, most frequently mentioned is Mississippi State, right? And the dollar value is one eighty, right? One hundred eighty thousand dollars. Have y'all, do y'all know the other part of this? Again, this is an urban legend, like could be a tall tale um, about the hotel room and Cecil's uh, quote. So they're in a hotel room and uh, Cam Newton's father, uh, he's sitting, either sitting on a bed or, or, or like, um, you know, sitting in a chair. And, and I guess that there had been like, no one wanted to make reference to it. Nothing, no one was really cutting to the chase. And he, he sits there and I'm, I'm going to use the word, um, loving, but that's not the way that this, the story is told. And he sits there and he goes, so we loving or what? Like <laughs> Cecil saying, so are we bleeping or what? Like, you know, every, no one wanted to like come out here and be able to get this going. And I don't even know what happened next, but I just love the idea that as everyone's trying to like cautiously tiptoe around like this $180,000 transaction, he's like, so we doing this, huh? Come on, let's let's go, let's go right there. And that's one of my favorite college football. It's like that small detail of imagining like the awkwardness of a hotel room and the leverage that Cam Newton's father had on these people in that moment, and he just decides to cut right to the chase. Uh, it's a favorite. 
I like that one. Any any other urban legends that uh, that stand out? I mean, n- not really that are like super specific. It's just all the general stuff. Like, I mean, I feel like in a way, most of the legends you hear, like, or that, like, if you see the way it's portrayed in a movie or something, movies are, you know, they're always a little over the top with what really happens. But then again, I feel like everybody at SMU in the 80s listened to the legends and said, okay, well, that's exactly what we need to do. <laughs> oh, how about this, Danny? Do you think, um, I, allegedly have heard and sort of like have gathered over time that whenever there start to be like runners that are, that are circling around programs, sometimes the runners get played by the players and the players are in on it. And the players are basically like just trying to see how much that they can get out of the runners. And it almost, be, you know, hyper competitive people, it becomes like a, who can one up each other on the team to see what, how, what they can get or how much they can get from these runners. And it leaves these runners and these agents and everybody else like out tons of cash because they've just been getting played by all the players on the team. And then you have videos released of players with bongs the night of the draft because there's somebody who's really disgruntled, right? I mean, that's how those things get leaked, which is really unfortunate. That was so recruiting. I didn't experience that. Most of the guys I played with at Florida State hadn't really heard of anything uh, that went on. But the agents and the runners for the agents, those were very real. Florida State, we had, you know, uh, NFL guys all over the roster and they hung out a lot. Guys started driving nicer cars as the draft approached. Sometimes the timeline might have been a little bit off uh, when they got those nice cars. Marvin Jones, though, had a hoopty the whole time. He didn't buy his new car until after the draft. He rode that hoopty with pride. Um, and like, but there was occasionally there was some, you know, some cars. That was the influence that I think scared Bobby Bowden the most was the NFL agents and that type of jeopardizing of careers. Those ones I think are where I saw more firsthand of not so much the recruiting folklore, but the agents and the runners and that aspect, they started hanging around the program. That was not, not a good thing. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, make sure that you subscribe to the cover three podcast. And if you want to get a question in for a future mailbag episode, you can do it. Leave us a five-star review, put your question in the review and we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode that uh, we've, we see the the spring gleaning requests. So Wyoming and Coastal Carolina, we're going to be hitting that on an upcoming uh, mailbag episode. Again, if your favorite team was not covered in any spring gleaning, and we've hit a couple of them, so uh, we might have already gotten it. you got to go listen to all the mailbags to check up on us. Um, but we have been keeping tabs on it. We've got a running list, and we will knock those out in the future. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.